thanks to our worship team for that. I love that song, I Am a Child of God. And uh, actually, it fits in very well with what uh, we're looking at uh, tonight. So welcome to our, uh, our online uh, experience and glad to be able to share and look at God's word with you, praying that his word is what speaks to your heart, not my voice. And I pray that your ears are open to hear uh, his voice. So we're actually in a series that was never intended to be a series, but it is now, and it's called uh, A Lot of Life Lessons from the Life of Lot. And uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Abraham's nephew, Lot. Abraham's famous, Lot, not so much. But what we realize is when we look at his life, he's actually the the, the guy in the story who's kind of the bad example. And by learning from uh, the way the, the decisions that he made in his life and the effect of them, uh, we can apply our lives to the opposite. Uh, and so that's kind of what we were talking about the last couple of weeks. In week one, we talked about how Lot went against his conscience. And by going against your conscience, it becomes easy to make a habit of that. And that leads to a destination, usually one you don't want to be, you don't want to end up in. Uh, and then in week two, we looked at how you know disputes between between people can often lead to division. And uh, we talked about in the family of God, there's going to be disputes, but that that wouldn't lead to, uh, to division. And I encourage you, if you uh, haven't uh, watched that message, to please, please do. It's one of the most important messages, I think, that our church uh, needs to hear uh, this, this year. And so if you could uh, check that out, it'd be great. And then last week, we talked about having the all-in attitude where Lot was being rescued from certain danger and said, go, run, get out of here. And he's like, well, I don't want to go all the way. You know, I just want to go halfway. And, and we, uh, as we looked at that, we realized that Jesus uh, has called us as his followers to an all-in attitude. And, and uh, that means different things for each of us. But we know it in our heart and in our, by, by his spirit, what he's requiring of us, what he's uh, calling us to, and then to, to just simply be obedient and go all in. And we don't get that right all the time, believe me. Uh, but his grace is what covers that up, but it's still that encouragement to, to remain all in because it's best for us. And so uh, as I was thinking about this week's message, uh, it's a tricky portion of scripture, actually. We're going to look at the very, very end of, of, uh, what, uh, of this portion of scripture that talks about Lot uh, and where he ends up. And it's tricky, especially with children present, because it's not actually rated um, G. It's, uh, this is one of those ones that, you know, if there's little ears listening right now, you may just want to like, ah, we're going to hold off. And um, as a, you know, I think it'd be a whole lot easier just to skip this portion. And uh, but last week we learned that that Lot's decisions affected his wife uh, and, and and her life, and we also learned that it affected uh, his children's life. And we want to kind of look more at that tonight. Um, it's it's Genesis chapter nineteen, the very end of it. It uh, tells us that Lot ends up in a cave, uh, with, uh, afraid um, with with his two daughters and. You know, it's one of these, these, uh, we're not going to read all the details. You can go look that up if you, if you'd like. I just remember, uh, back when I was a kid, there was this, this other kid in our Sunday school class and he was like 10, 11, 12 years old. And he showed us his new Bible and he had glued Song of Solomon shut. So he couldn't read the details. And I was like, this one might've been one of those scriptures you want to glue shut as well, except it's, um, it involves alcoholism. It involves some poor judgment. Uh, and, uh, the result of all of that, you know, Lot being totally, totally, too drunk to even, you know, to think properly and his daughter's uh, having some, uh, making some very poor decisions. Here's the result of that. Genesis 19 verse 36. As a result, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. 
Verse 37, when the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab, and he became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Moabites. And when the younger daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Ben-Ami, and he became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Ammonites. And as I read through that, I'm like, why is that in there? You know, why, why is any of it in there? And to, you know, I, I believe there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's history. History for the children of Israel, they would have read this. And when we say history, it's not a story. This is what happened. And they don't, the, the Bible doesn't try and pick, gloss it over or try and make this, this you know, the, a fairy tale sounding story. It doesn't do that. It tells what actually happened and, and how, how broken the world was. It doesn't try to water down history. It doesn't change history. It doesn't try to erase history or rewrite it. It just simply tells it. You know, we see that Lot's decision uh, didn't just affect him, but it affected his daughters, but it affected an ongoing uh, family generation and heritage. As you you read about how his daughters, they they really gave birth to two nations. The Moabites became a a nation, and it was a nation that actually would later um, uh, cause Israel uh, to sin, and they, they worshiped this God. Chemosh, where the, that required human sacrifice, and it was it was so far away from what you know the, the God of Abraham that Lot had left, and then we also see Ammon. Uh, Ammon was a, was another one that had the, the God this this horrific God called Moloch, which was this statue which had a fire on the inside and these arms stretched out like this, and they would sacrifice infants and roll them down into the into the fire, and it was like, man, this is this is not if you want a good God, this is not Him, and these people were so bloodthirsty. That, that even when they attacked other villages, it talks about in Amos how they would just cut the, the wombs of pregnant women open to kill the child inside. There was this, this hatred for children. And, uh, and uh, you see that, that Lot's d- taking steps away from God caused uh, this to continue on in this, in this uh, direction. And it, it matters when you see how the decisions that we make affect generations. And I wonder if we think about that. I wonder if we think about that in, in our day and age. And as I re- was preparing, I was reminded of Paul and his letter to Timothy. He tells us, in t- uh, it t- he tells Timothy why all these stories were written, why all the accounts of the Old Testament are there. And here's what he says, 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scriptures inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us. It's not written to us, but it's useful to teach us. Teaches us what? What is true and makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what's right. Verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You know, God desires to even use this this convoluted text to prepare us and to equip us, uh, to teach us uh, that we might be ready for every good work. And so as we dig in a little bit deeper, the question that I, that I, I believe we need to ask ourselves is this, how are we affecting the next generation? Do we realize that we are affecting it already? And, and how are we affecting the next generation? I just want to leave you with three thoughts today. Number one, that we would value the next generation. That that would be one of the things in, that we realize is that we would value the next generation. You know, churches are famous for not truly valuing the next generation. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard like the grumpy, uh, the grumpy church ladies in, in, in other churches, you know, no running in the sanctuary, you know, or, you know, the, the youth, they left a mess in the, uh, in the, in the auditorium, you know, and in the kitchen, they left a towel out of place. And I mean, I, these are things I've literally heard. And then, you know, things like, you know, the ushers at the door telling the young guy coming to take that hat off, you know, show some respect. And, and then they just wonder, you know, later on, huh, you know, there's, there's just no youth in our church. 
there's just no young people. And we're like, hmm, I begin to wonder why. But that's not new. That's not new. Um, Matthew, actually one of the eyewitness followers of Jesus, tells about how Jesus entered the temple and and the kids, man, they were pumped and they were shouting, Hosanna, you know, Hosanna to the king who comes in, in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees, the religious people who were paid to be good, they're standing there looking like arms crossed and like, Jesus, tell those kids to stop. And he's like, no way, I'm not telling them to stop. If they stop, the rocks will start crying out. He's like, this is actually how God ordained praise. You guys think you got praise uh, and worship down. Look at these kids, man. They got it going on. It just angered the Pharisees more. But I think about those children. Why do those kids think they had the freedom to do that in the temple that day? Why do those children think that, hey, we can shout the praises of God and, and that, that it would be okay? And I believe it's because just a couple of chapters earlier in Matthew 19, verse 13, we see the account of where these kids have been coming to Jesus and their parents are bringing them to Jesus because, man, everybody wants to be around Jesus. He is like, he is the coolest person to be around and as the kids were coming by, all of a sudden, Jesus' disciples, these young men, they look around, they're like, wait a second, no, 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 wait, Jesus is way too important for these kids to be bugging him. He's a busy guy, you know, and they tell the kids, get out of here, you know, get out of here. And what does it say in verse 13? The little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. Verse 14, Jesus said, whoa, fellas, let the little children come to me. Let them come to me. Don't forbid them. For, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And then he laid his hands on them, just as the parents had hoped that he would bless them. And then he departed from there. You know what we realized from this is that Jesus valued children. And in their culture, that was, that was a big deal. You know, in that, in that time period, women and children were not valued like they are today. They weren't seen as equals. They were often seen as property. Uh, and, you know, as we see Jesus teaching, we, most of us don't realize being, you know, raised in North American culture that, that the reason that we have value for, for women and value for children is because of the words that Jesus said. This went against all of the, the status quo when he, would, when he would say, listen, these children matter. These children matter. And it was the followers of Jesus who would take that to heart to, to, to the nth degree. When they lived in, under Roman oppression, one of the things that, uh, that happened in the Roman um, cities is that there was often unwanted children. Babies would be born and they weren't, uh, they weren't necessarily wanted. They thought, uh, we can't take care of them. They would leave them, they would leave them out um, in, in, the, in the open um, to, to just to, to die of exposure or to see what the gods would do with them. And it uh, would happen often that it was the, the followers of Jesus who would rescue these young children and uh, take them in as their very own and re- literally raise their enemies' children. You know, in, the, in that day and age, 25% of, of babies wouldn't make it through their first year. But it was the Jesus followers who said, we want to we raise that average. It was 50% of these children that wouldn't even make it to age 10. So they're like, you know, even as, as these, the, these, these groups of people, they're like, ah, you know, if once they reach 11, they're valuable. But we don't even know if they're going to make it there. And Jesus was like, no, wait a second. They're valuable right now. Man, they, so often he would say to people like, look at these children. Become more like them. Their, their trust, the way they trust their heavenly father, be more like them. And the truth is this. That is the same way that Jesus brought culture to uh, embrace and value women and children. The further that any culture gets away from Jesus and Judeo-Christian values, the more that women and children suffer. 
And in our nation, as, as it gets further away from uh, Judeo-Christian values, believe me, it will be the women and children that you see that will suffer the most. And so as Jesus followers, today, you and me, as, as passionate followers of him, we need to value what he values. And I ask the question, do you value children? And like, well, of course we do. What a dumb question. But here's my question. How is that measured? How do we measure how much we value children? Because it's not just that we would value our own children, but that we would value others' children as well. You know how we value things? We give the things we value to the things we value. We give things we value to the things we value. For instance, we give things like money to the ones we value. We give time to the, to the things that we value. And so when you think about children, what, what's our use of money and time when it comes to our children? You know, and I'm not just thinking in our home, but as collectively as the church, you know, how much of our money and time are we investing in the next generation? And I got to say, man, I am blessed to be a part of this congregation who time after time has said, hey, the kids matter. You know what? We, we got this uh, portable gymnasium. It's going to cost us 100000 No problem. You know, we'll put off our own expansion of the auditorium so that that's good to go. You know, when we talked about making the, the downstairs a fun place for kids, a ball pit and whatever. They were like, yes, let's Let's do it. And then we had a flood and it, it, it destroyed everything. We didn't even have the proper insurance. And it was like, you know what? Let's get back to it. These kids matter. We want those kids to be in a place that they love so that they have a chance to know Christ for themselves. And I absolutely love it. But I would encourage you in this point as well that, you know, that, that this is a great opportunity to continue to reach kids. And you say, well, how can we do that? Well, number one, um, uh, you could give uh, to, the, to the cause to help reach more, more kids for Christ. That's, that's one way. But I'm not, I'm not asking for an offering because I think there's a more important one. And I think that's the gift of time. Because in our wealthy culture, it's easy to give away money. But time is such a precious thing. And, I, and I'd encourage you, just to even if, uh, as, as he puts it on your heart, to invest time in, in kids, whether that's helping in kids' ministry, whether that's, you know, coming in and uh, spending time with, with the kids in the nursery, or if it's like, no, you know what, I've got kids that come across my, uh, across my um, uh, regular daily life that you're going to slow down and stop and just invest in them or realize, man, have some of those conversations with them. It's, it's important that we would value, that we would value who Jesus values. You know, do we truly value the next generation? The second thought is this, that we would protect the next generation. That we protect it. You know, as I was thinking about this summer, as I was driving my lawnmower, I all of a sudden got, you know, stopped uh, along my driveway by one of these ferocious birds right here. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the crazy kill deer, right? Like, I'm driving this mower and it stands right in front of me. It's not going anywhere. And I'm like, you know, like, bird, you're, you're going to, like, if I drive over you, you're, you do not win this fight. But it doesn't back down. And all of a sudden, there's another one just swooping kind of over my head. And I'm like, this is, what is up with these birds? And obviously, I know. They must have a nest somewhere real close on the driveway. And as I get off the mower and I walk, sure enough, they fake the broken wing. And there's a, there's a couple of them calling me away from wherever their nest is. And the uh, thing is, I don't mow the rocks on the driveway, so they, they were really in no danger. But it didn't matter. Even though danger was close, they were ready to go toe-to-toe. I'll do anything to protect my young is, is that, that mentality. And then uh, I was just compared to my, I raised Coturnix quail at my house. And they're cute, man. They are like a cute bird. And they're, they're so docile, I can just sort of pick them up. You know, they're, they're, uh, The thing about them, though, is they have lost the ability or maybe it's just that they've lost the common sense to survive in the wild. 
I, I think it's just been bred out of them over centuries. They won't, they won't hatch their own eggs. You know, if, if you uh, left them to themselves, they would be extinct in one generation. They have no ability to continue on. They just lay their eggs wherever, willy-nilly. And it's like, you know, just come what may. And you know what? You know what? The, the predators are like, sure, I'll come and get the, the eggs for, for, you know, they're not hidden or anything. And, and I look at that. And I'm like, man, like, what's the difference between these, uh, these, two, these two birds? You know, these things, they're cute. But if left to themselves, if left to themselves, they'd be extinct. And I think that about kids too. Children, you know, they're cute. But if we leave them to themselves, man, they, they, they have the ability to mess things up pretty quickly. You know, I think about uh, scripture and I think about Moses. Moses was one of the top two most famous uh, Israelite heroes. You know, Father Abraham and Moses, I mean, these two dudes were like the guys who had it all. Abraham started it, and Moses was like the one who, who uh, led them out of slavery in Egypt. He's the one who gave them God's law. He's the one who led them to the promised land. I mean, these, this guy was a superhero. And yet, Moses, Moses almost didn't survive infancy, and not because of anything of his own. He was born into a place called Egypt, and at that time, Egypt had a group of slaves called the Hebrews, and the, Hebrew, the Hebrews were having too many children, according, to the, according to, the, uh, to the Pharaoh. And he's like, I don't want that. We don't want any more of these. And so what did he say? He told the midwives, he said, listen, when you go and they have their babies, if they're girls, let them live. But if they're boys, you kill them right away. And it says, you know, Scripture tells us that there was these two women, Shipra and Pua. Shipra and Pua. Let's say that together. Shipra and Pua. You know, those, these are the two like midwives who said to, to Pharaoh, they, 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 were, they received the, um, the command, but they went against the king's command and, and they just let, the, let all the babies live. And when the king called them in and said, hey, you two, why aren't you killing the babies? They're like, man, these Hebrew women, they're just, they're like, they have their babies so fast, we don't even get there in time. Like they have the babies and they run, run off and, and, and hide. And so the, 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 the little boys live. I'm like, Shipra and Pua, I'm like, man, if you're having a daughter anytime soon, I think you should consider your, naming your child after them. I mean, they, maybe even a first and a middle name, right? They, these are some, see, these are true superheroes, true people, women of integrity. And it says in Exodus 1 verse 17 that they feared God more than they feared the king. You know, here's the command from the king. You need to kill those children. And they're like, it doesn't matter what the king says. It, this is wrong and we won't do it. We won't do, we will protect the next generation. And then we read about how Moses' parents, they hid him for the first three months of his life. You can read about that in, in uh, Exodus 2. And as a result, they actually make the, the Faith Hall of Fame. You know, the Faith Hall of Fame is in the New Testament in Hebrews, Hebrews 11. And um, many of us are reading through the New Testament together. We're right in Hebrews and we'll be there this week. And I hope it jumps out at you as you read it, as it did to me. It says this in Hebrews 11, verse 23. It was by faith. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. The king's command was that this unusual child should be dead. But what is it? It was by faith. So we have this wrestling so often with, you know, oh, your Christianity can't go against the, the rules of government or whatever it is. But I'm telling you, if the rules of government are wrong, then it is by faith that we would stand against those and do the right thing. Do what is right in the eyes of God, that his word supersedes anything else and that we would see it that way. You know, Moses' life was saved as a result of that because these people didn't abdicate their responsibility. They didn't abdicate their responsibility, which I find oftentimes we're tempted to do 
People often hand over responsibility for their children to someone else. It's like to the schools or to the state or to the church or even to God and even to their kids sometimes abdicating their responsibility uh, as parents and as leaders. For instance, you know, school, it's like thinking, oh, we send our kids to school. They'll learn everything they need to learn there. And as parents, Jesus following parents, I think we need to realize that they're learning stuff there that it's not necessarily stuff that they need to learn. That the ideologies of the world that go against the, the, the truth of the word of God, those are things that, that as, as godly parents, we need to have conversations with our kids. Did you realize that you, you are your child's chief educator regardless of where they attend? It's not saying, hey, everybody's got a homeschool, but you need to be responsible for your child's education and know what they're learning and does it line up with the word of God. Second is the state. Sometimes it's that idea that, you know, that, that, that we think our children belong to the state because the state says so. The state will say things like, you know, uh, we don't need parental consent for things. And I wonder if we, I wonder if we realize that. You know, I look at around the around North America. There's certain places right now where you know the, there's there's uh, medical procedures that are being deemed mandatory for school age children. And my question is this: What happens, and what will you do if that happens here? If all of a sudden it becomes mandated that 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 the the this medical procedure is done, what will you do? Will you ask questions like, "Wait, why do they need it?" Wait, 0% chance of them succumbing to this disease? It's not going to protect them. It's not going to protect others. Why are we doing this? There's all, there's all kinds of information that states that this might be dangerous for them. Why, why would we do that? Would you even ask those questions? Would you even ask those questions? You know, maybe it's that thought, well, hey, I guess if that's what we need to do to get back to normal. <laughs> My question is, what if Moses' parents had made a statement like that? Well, that's what the king said. I guess that's the way our lives go. No, no, no. By faith, his parents stood up and chose to do the right thing. Third, a lot of times Christian parents, they abdicate the responsibility to the church when it comes to spiritual education. Like, oh, the church, I take them to kids' church. Man, I, I hope, you know, that they're, that they're learning something there. Uh, but that church is not the one responsible, not the only one responsible for your children's spiritual growth. Are you discipling your kids? Man, that's a big thing for me, even asking myself. I watch Beth, my wife, she is amazing. She, she spends time reading scripture with our children. She's got them memorizing the whole book of Philippians. They sing hymns together. They sing songs together. They worship together. And I just, I, it's, it's a part of their, uh, of their education, and I absolutely love it. And then I realized that in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and, and chapter 11, is, this was the command to, the, to, the, to the, um, the family of God way back in the beginning. He would say, teach these things to your children. The word of God, the scripture repeated again and again. Well, you know, talk about it when you're at home and talk about it when you're on the road. Talk about it before you go to bed and talk about it when you wake up. And it's not that, that, that all of that, when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're waking up, when you're going to bed, that's not at church. What is that saying? Make this discipleship of your children something that's a part of your regular life. And then we see that sometimes people want to abdicate their responsibility to God. They're like, oh God, I give you my children. You know, they, they pray this prayer. And you know what God's answer to that prayer is? No, I gave them to you. It's your responsibility to raise them. He's like, God, I just give up. They're in your hands. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't abdicate your responsibility as their parent, as their leader, as the ones who are responsible for them. They've been entrusted to your care. We can't afford we cannot afford to abdicate responsibility to any of those things, nor to our children. 
Because right now it's this popular thought that we need children. We need to allow children to make their own decisions, make the decisions for their lives. They don't, they don't need parental consent. They get to choose everything. They get to choose what gender they are. They can choose whatever they want to choose. But if I think about my kids, and I mean, maybe when they're a little younger, if I let them choose whatever they want to choose, man, they would choose to uh, eat candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They would choose playing video games as their career of choice. They would choose that whatever the crowd says is cool. They would decide, you know, that, that what they wanted to find the words truth and good. I mean, way back when, they, <laughs> they would play with their own poo if we let them. I mean, why, why would... Why do we think that children have that ability to just be able to make all of those decisions about that? And we say, no, 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 we got to help decide what they eat and all this. But to say they can just decide all these other things, it doesn't make logical sense. You know, we've been called to value children. We've been called to protect children. And then finally, we've been called to equip the next generation. To equip the next generation in August of this year, at the Olympics, the 4x100 four by four, four by relay uh, team from the U.S., uh, they uh, missed out on the finals of a race that they were supposed to win. They were, so, they, they were the favorites to win, but they, they missed out on the race because they, they bobbled the passing of the baton between the second and the third, third runner. And, and they, were the, they were the ones who were the fastest. They were actually in first. They were favored to win the gold medal in the finals, but they didn't even make it to the finals. They ended up in sixth place as a result. And, and uh, the, thing, the thing that's crazy about that, this has happened to them three times in the last four Olympics that they've either bubbled it or dropped it or just simply missed the baton. And uh, I, wonder, I wonder when I think about the next generation, how often that's happened, that, that the, 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 the handing over of the baton has been bobbled or missed or, or dropped. Do you realize we're always passing things on to the next generation? Uh, I think sometimes we, we know it intentionally. Like we pass down heirlooms, family heirlooms. In my home, there's an old Bible that was passed from grandparents down uh, to others. In, in, um, uh, there's a rocking chair that I remember in my house that was being, somebody was going to get the rocking chair. There was an old pump organ that was going to end up in someone's home. There's teapots in my mom's house right now that she's talked to my, my daughter and my nieces and said, hey, these are things that are going to be passed down to you. And we, we intentionally pass these things down. But, uh, but I, I wonder if we realize that we're passing things down to them and we don't realize. It. Much like Lot, passing certain things down to the next generation didn't even realize that they were doing it. You know, we pass things down like mannerisms. Uh, we also can pass things down like, uh, like belief systems or even addictions and, and depressions and different things that we end up passing down to the next generation. You know, you hear it when people, you know, people come up to me and say, wow, you look just like your dad. Man, you remind me so much of your dad. And uh, part of me it just makes me smile because I'm proud of my dad. And I'm like, that, that's a cool thing. I, I'm good with that. But I have had others, you know, as I'm talking with a young guy this week, he was saying, you know, I learned a lot from my parents. I learned a lot of what to do from them. And he says, but to be honest, I've also learned a lot of things of what not to do from watching my parents. And I also remember, you know, being at a funeral with a friend of mine. And as we were at the funeral for his dad, he, he said to me, you know, <laughs> That my dad was a terrible man. He was an alcoholic. You know, he was not a good father. And I don't want to be anything like him. But it's crazy. It's crazy how many times kids become like their parents, even in spite of them not wanting to. That alcoholism is knocking on his door. That these things that, that, that happen, you think, man, that, that uh, it shouldn't be. They don't want it. They don't want to do it. But it's just, it's, it's crazy. There's a statement or a quote that says, what walks in the fathers runs in the children. 
And we see that happen throughout history. And it's, it's unwise of us to think that it can't happen today. And it's something even just that brings a, 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 a moment for me of, real, of thinking and realizing what, what in my life, what in my life am I unintentionally passing down? And so here's the thought that we would equip the next generation intentionally, on purpose. You know, that not, not that we would equip that we'd say, you know, we got to hide them from the big bad world out there. But no, that we would, that we would equip them to shine in it. You know, when we think of, of Daniel and Esther and David and Joshua and Timothy and Titus all facing darkness in their world, they, they were the ones who shone. Why? But they were equipped to do so. You know, a, a buddy of mine was reading a book and he sent me an excerpt from it. That's my, actually my favorite way of reading is just you find the best part, send it to me. And I feel like <laughs> I, got the, I got the best part of the book. But he sent this to, to us, to me, and it just talked about how we as adults and we as parents and, and our parents and our grandparents, that they were sending values, values and virtues. We're, sending, we're actually sending values and virtues into the future culture through the vessel of our ch- children. What we pour into them is not just for them. We're sending that into the culture ahead of them. And a culture we'll never, never reach. We, we won't live long enough to be a part of, but as it carries on, it affects it. And so here's the final thoughts. How? How do we equip the next generation? I would just say three quick things. Number one, be a good example. Paul wrote to the Corinthians with this in 1 Corinthians 9. He said in verse 24, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize, so run to win. He's like, run like you want to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And he's not talking about running a race. He's talking about in the way you live. And so here's how he describes himself, verse 26. So I run or I live with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And as I preach these words tonight, I, man, I speak them to myself primarily, first of all, because I agree with that. I don't want to preach to others and then be disqualified myself. It's that thought of running a race so that the next generation can emulate that. Are these people worth following? You know, uh, uh, were they all in and can I be all in like they were? That like Paul said to the Corinthians uh, later that follow me as I follow Christ. Can I say that to the next generation? Follow me as I follow Christ. And if, if I'm not following Christ, follow him. Don't follow me. And then second, you know, that we would not only be a good example, but that we would be intentional with our influence. Intentional with our influence. Because we don't get to control the outcome. That, that's not how this works. We don't get to control the choices that the, that, that, that the next generation makes, but we have a chance to influence it. There's a tale of two brothers. Uh, one, would be, one grew up to be a criminal. The other grew up to be a successful man. And When they were both asked the same question, what do you attribute to the outcome in your life? They both answered with the same answer. With a father like mine, how else could I turn out? What? Same dad, totally different things. What what happens? We don't control. We don't control the outcome. We simply have the chance to influence it. And when I think about that in regards to salvation and and my children being followers of Christ, I realize uh, that I, in and of myself, I do not have the ability to make, my chi- to make my children follow Christ. But I echo the words of a, of a, a speaker that I heard uh, years ago who said, I just don't want to be the reason why they don't. I can't make my children follow Christ. I just don't want to be the reason why they choose not to. And that's that idea of living, uh, being an example and living intentional about the influence we have and being intentional of teaching them not what to think, but how to think. 
how to think in, the, in life and how to think in the, in, in the world around them because the world keeps changing. The world keeps changing. But if they've been taught how to think, it'll matter. And then finally, realize it's not just for your own children. Number one, be a good example. Be intentional with your influence and then realize it's not just your own children because some are like, you know what? My kids are all grown up or you know what? I never had any children. <laughs> the, the truth is we need lots of spiritual fathers, mothers, and uh, grandparents. People that invest in the lives of young people, regardless of whether they're blood related or not. You know, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. He says, Timothy, I remember your genuine faith because you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Oh man, how many times I've heard of, of young people who, whose parents may not have been believers, but their grandparents were. And that influence in their life. I heard somebody talk about it this week. So to, to continue pouring out into the, into the young people. And then finally this, Paul, you know, he would describe himself as a father to Timothy and Titus and Onesimus and a whole bunch of others. Uh, but there was no biological connection there. What was he saying? He was describing himself as their spiritual father, as their, as their mentor, that he would disciple these young men to be followers of Christ. And one of those was Onesimus. Onesimus was an escaped, uh, an escaped slave that met Paul and and told him his story, and Paul shared the gospel with him, and, and Onesimus became a follower of Jesus, and Paul said, hey, as a follower of Jesus, you need to go back to your master. He's like, that could mean certain death. He's like, I know, but as a follower of Jesus, you need to go make that right, and he says, I'll write a letter on your behalf, and it's a letter we have called Philemon, and when I think about that, you know, that person escaped that, that was led to Christ. That's where it all comes down to. That's where it all starts, being led to Christ. Being led to Christ. Because to be honest, what does it matter if our children become the most successful business people? What does it matter if they're the best player on their sports team? What does it matter if they get the top grades in the top university if they don't know Christ? What does it matter? Because in the words of Jesus, Matthew 16, Matthew tells us that Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. And so we said last week, you got to be all in. Verse 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And may ask that question. And what do your children, what does the next generation benefit if they gain the whole world but they lose their soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than their soul? And I think if we'd ask ourselves that question, you know, we stand before God someday with all of our achievements and all of our things, but we lost our soul. And he asked, what would you trade for your soul? I'd trade it all. I would trade it all. And that's the thought that I encourage us to have is to realize that the next generation is eternal, that their souls matter, that we would reach out with the gospel, the good news of Jesus to reach the next generation so that they may know Christ for themselves, that may, they may be the ones that stand and shine and ring out and hold fast to truth so that they may reach their next generation. And it starts with us. It starts with us realizing we need to value them. We need to uh, equip them. We need to protect them. We need to protect them. And I know that talking about the stuff I talked about today, it's going to get emails, going to get some angry phone calls potentially. But I just have to say that they're worth it. They're worth it. And the truth matters. 
And so I'd encourage us to think about that, allow Holy Spirit to do in our hearts what needs to be done. His kingdom may continue to come and his will will continue to be done in and through his church on this planet. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that's in it. Thank you for the the truth of the, the history, the life of Lot, that we can just learn so much from, more, so much more than I even realized. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you would help us to, to sow your word into our hearts deeply, to consider you in all of our ways, to, to acknowledge you, to, to follow your voice, to live out as we're all in. Jesus, thank you for making it right where we got it wrong. Thank you for taking our sin. Thank you for being the door that allowed us to enter into, our, enter into the rest and enter into the presence of the God of the universe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, I pray that you continue to lead us as your people in this day and age. And Lord, may, may the world see you. May they see you. May they see the truth. May they see love. May they see your goodness. May they find salvation, I pray. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, today uh, I want to leave you with these couple of thoughts. I guess one of the lessons that we learned from the life of Lot is this, is that we are affecting the next generation. The first question is, you know, are we doing it intentionally or unknowingly? And we always leave you with some questions to kind of dig a little deeper into that, to help you answer that question. And these questions go like this, you know, what jumped out at you today uh, from today's talk? And then second, you know, uh, what, uh, what things were passed down to you in your family history? What were the things that maybe they're physical, maybe they were some of these mannerisms and, and other things, what were they? And then third, what do you think you're passing on to the next generation unintentionally? And what do you think you're passing on to them on purpose? And then finally, um, how could you be more intentional about valuing, protecting, um, and equipping the next generation? How could you be more intentional about that? I pray that whatever Holy Spirit drops in your heart to do, that you would be courageous and obedient to follow that out. The next generation depends on it. So thank you for this time together. As always, just know that we love you and believe God's best for you. Until we see you next time. See ya.